We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Life can be a little bit like riding a roller coaster, can't it? Uh, it's amazing how, and you know this, one moment you can be on cloud nine and the next moment you can be extremely low. You know, I've read over the course of my life that the difference in a teenager and adult among many is that as a teenager, your highs are extremely high and your lows are extremely low. So we, it's almost as you grow up, the, the wave or the hills go higher and deeper. But I think even as adults, we know what it is to sometimes have extremely high highs and then extremely low lows. And then every now and then, every now and then, you'll be rocking along and things will be going well. And then the bottom will fall out. And then as a little time passes, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it just gets worse. You ever had that happen? And so our question is, what do we do when life really does feel like a roller coaster? What do we do when we move from those ultra high highs to those ultra low lows? And how are we able to understand God's hand in the midst of that? How are we able to differentiate between what God is doing and, and what we're supposed to do? You see, as we've been walking through the life of Moses, there's not a life that, that better epitomizes what we're describing in Moses' life. You'll remember that last week we saw where Moses found himself in front of the burning bush, and what an incredible conversation. You want to talk about a spiritual high? He walks up, and there's a bush that is aflame, but it refuses to burn up. And out of the bush, who's talking? None other than God himself. So out of chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus, we are reading about an absolute mountaintop experience. But what some of you know that have had deep, powerful experiences on mountaintops with the Lord is that the direction off most mountains is down. You've got to eventually come off the mountain. And most of the time, when we experience God in special and powerful ways, what we also know is that adversity may be coming. Because sometimes those encounters with God are to prepare you for something that is coming along the way and prepare Moses it had. Because Moses leaves and he goes from that, from where God had given him these specific instructions to find himself in front of the most royal court in all of the world. He stands before Pharaoh himself. And you are going to hear the very first of seven different times where Moses declares, let my people go. So what I want you to listen to today as we stand in just a moment and read this passage is what happens when things don't go like you think they ought to go? What happens when God acts in a way that you don't expect Him to act? And when we see that in the text, what do we learn about how we are going to keep a godly perspective even when life doesn't work out as we think it should? Let's stand together and read God's Word. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival 
to me in the desert. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you talking? Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. And that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before and don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let's go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. And then the slave drivers and the foremen went out to the people and said, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw, and the slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? And when the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. And Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw and you must produce your full quota of bricks. And the Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you're not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Lord God, teach us today that when life doesn't work out as we think it should, to keep a godly perspective about things. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And you'll see the big idea on the screen. And we just prayed that this morning, that when life doesn't work out as we think it should, we must keep a godly perspective perspective. So let's just start talking about this story for a little while together today. We have Moses. He stands in front of Pharaoh. He makes the demand, let my people go. You can remember he's been prepared. Chapters three and four were telling him that's exactly what he was supposed to do, to go in front of Pharaoh and to ask that the people be let go. And so Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and they do just that. But to understand a little bit about the history and the context, you need to understand who Pharaoh thought he was and who the people thought Pharaoh was. You see, when we read it, I think we're tempted to think that he was thought of like a king or a ruler or the president. But Pharaoh was considered a god, and he was worshipped as a god, and he believed himself to be God. So when they go before Pharaoh and they ask that he would release all of these Israelites, now you may be asking, why wouldn't he want to release them? 
Well, obviously the answer is that he doesn't want to let go of a free labor force that's building an entire empire, and he sees himself as supreme. He sees himself as the God of the world. He sees himself as the strongest power that is known to man. So there's no way that he would want to let a free two million labor force go, and yet here Moses and Aaron stand before him with the first of seven, let my people go. But he asked a question, and if you understand Exodus, I I think it's going to open up this one question opens up the rest of the book, because here's the question he asked. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? You see, because to Pharaoh, he already knew the answer to the question. And his answer to the question was not that it was Yahweh or the God of the Israelites. His answer to the question was, I am the Lord. I am God. I decide who stays. I decide who goes. I decide all of that. How dare you even ask me or refer to another God when you're standing before God? He considered himself to be the Lord. So one way to understand the book of Exodus is he comes before Pharaoh and Pharaoh asks the question, who is the Lord? And the rest of Exodus will answer that question. You want to know who God is? Then keep reading. Because you're going to find out, Pharaoh, and everybody else who reads, exactly who the Lord is and who the Lord is not. Pharaoh will discover that there is a God in heaven and his name is Yahweh and that Pharaoh is not him. And if you're not going to get anything else out of this study, that's a great note to take. If you're not going to take one more note, it ought to be that when you encounter the God of heaven, when you encounter Yahweh, you find out there is a God and you're not him. And so he encounters this, this truth, and he's going to encounter it throughout the Bible. But when he encounters this, Pharaoh makes a power play. He says, if you want to come to me and start making demands about these people, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll not only punish them, but I'm going to make their work harder. So I'm going to demand that they still make the same number of bricks for the building project, but I'm not going to give them any straw. You had to have straw. You mix that in with the mud. It was like a binding agent. You couldn't make bricks without it. So before they were supplying the straw, but the Hebrews were then taking it and placing it in with the mud and making the bricks. So now he says, you've got to make the same amount of bricks, but you find straw on your time, not on my time, and we're not providing it anymore. Well, you can imagine how this went because the people were already being driven as slaves and it gets pushed and it gets pushed and it gets pushed. And now the people begin to complain and they begin to complain to their foreman, we can't do this. So what happens to the foreman? They get whipped and beaten till eventually they go before Pharaoh. And before you know it, it's not Pharaoh that they're blaming. Who is it that they're blaming? Moses. Moses, if you had kept your mouth shut, then we'd still have straw. He wouldn't be raining down on us. And Moses, this is your fault. You should have never brought trouble to us. We had enough trouble on our own. So what does Moses in turn do? They blamed Moses. And who does Moses blame? End of the chapter. Moses ends up before God and he said, I can't believe you did me like this. I can't believe this. You told me that if I went before that I would be the redeemer and the deliverer. And now not only is Pharaoh not listening, but if you look around at the situation, these people hate me. They think that I'm a stench and even they prayed that you would judge me because of what I've done. So Moses has gone from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And now we've got to try to make sense of what does that mean for you and me? How how does that make any difference for your life when you step into school on Monday or you step into work tomorrow? And I think there's some principles, five principles specifically that you can't miss. Five principles that when life doesn't work out as we think it should, they're going to help you to keep a godly perspective. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, 
The power of decisions. The power of decisions. When Moses goes before Pharaoh, he presents him with a real option. Let my people go. You either are going to let the people go or you're not going to let the people go. So what do we see Pharaoh doing? He lashes out. He says, who is this God? Who is this Lord? After all, I am the Lord. Now, what I don't want you to miss on this is that Pharaoh's decision matters and your decision matters. When we make decisions about what we are going to do with the things of God and the things of the Lord, it matters, and it matters eternally. And I'm not just talking about the decision you're going to make in church today or the decision you're going to make on a Wednesday night or at youth camp or the decision that you're going to even make while you're reading your Bible and praying. I'm saying that every day of your life there are decisions that come to you, and you have a chance whether to honor God with that choice or to not honor the Lord, and that your choices and your decisions absolutely matter. Now, what I think Moses might have forgotten, because when we get to the end of the chapter and we see him throwing this fit, he had already forgotten chapter 4, verse 21. Look, look back at what God had already told Moses. What did God tell Moses? He said, I'm going to send you before Pharaoh, but he already promised but that God was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Moses, if he'd have been paying attention, would have already known that Pharaoh's heart was not going to be accepting of this. Now, a lot of people will read 421, and they'll say, that just doesn't seem right. That, that before it ever happened, that God would harden the heart of Pharaoh. I want you to understand something about the God of heaven and about Scripture. A sovereign, omnipotent God can harden who he desires to harden. It is God's choice. And when God makes that choice, we need to be very careful in how we understand it. Because when we see it playing out in these moments, what we see is that we're able to understand that obviously when a heart has been turned over or a heart has been hardened, that it makes an enormous difference. If you read the rest of Exodus, you already know. You want to talk about a hard heart? It wouldn't have taken but one of the plagues. It certainly wouldn't have taken ten plagues and the killing of the firstborn for someone with any rationale, someone with any common sense, with someone with any logic to say, y'all get out of here. Never step back in Egypt again. I don't want any part of you. You've brought nothing but disease and pestilence and blood and gnats and boils and frogs. You've brought nothing but that to my country. Leave. But we need to understand when it comes to leadership today that this is huge. That the power of decisions matters. And when someone's heart has been hardened, and Romans 1 says that they have been given over to a depraved mind. So in other words, they have become so hardened to the things of God that they no longer not only make good spiritual decisions, but they don't even make decisions that have applied common sense. There's no logic. There's no rationale. Some of you are beating your heads up against the wall right now because you look at the world and you look at the leadership in the world and you're asking, how could someone make these decisions even if they weren't a born-again believer? Even if they weren't saved? Even if they weren't conservative? Some of the things you find yourself saying, this just makes no sense. This is illogical. This is irrational. And I want to tell you that it is the product of depraved minds and hardened hearts 
parts that eventually it's going to play out exactly like it's playing out in the culture in which we live and it won't make sense and you will drive yourself crazy trying to come up with the reason why hard-hearted depraved-minded people act the way they do and the reason that they do is because they are so evil that they have been given over that even their mind does not work properly that's important that's important to know the power of decisions and what will happen now in understanding him giving Pharaoh over or hardening Pharaoh's heart it brings us back to the question what is the ultimate purpose of God and I think this is what we get wrong we get it wrong in worship we get it wrong in our personal lives what is God's ultimate goal and this is something that has been so perverted in evangelical Christianity that I'm afraid that even conservative Bible-loving people will get this answer wrong. That God's overwhelming, overarching purpose, that God's magnificent obsession is not, is not, in this passage, rescuing Israel. That God's magnificent obsession is not that good would come to the Jewish people. God's magnificent obsession is not to bless you and I. God's greatest, most magnificent obsession is not even the saving of you and I. You're saying, well, hold on. What is God's most magnificent obsession? God is most obsessed with His own glory. Your salvation brings God glory, but you need to understand that God is glorified when Pharaoh is judged. When God pours out His wrath, He's glorified. When He demonstrates justice, He's glorified. When He, is, when he shows purity and holiness, He is glorified. And also when He displays grace and love and mercy. The overwhelming passion of God is His own glory, which brings us back to Pharaoh being hardened. When I tell you that decisions matter, that there's power in decisions, there are so many people and, and students, I want you to listen to me. Please hear me from elementary school all the way to college. We have allowed as pastors and as youth, ministry, youth ministers to engage an argument that is completely false. And that is that the reason that college students and kids when they leave church the reason that they deny the faith, the reason that they leave Christianity, the reason that they quit going to church, the reason that they don't honor the God of their fathers, the reason that happens, and we've bought into this lie, is something intellectual. That they're going to go to liberal schools and they're going to encounter liberal theology and they're going to encounter liberal professors and that because of that, they're going to make an intellectual decision to leave the God of Scripture. And nothing could be more patently false of why people leave the God of heaven or why they never come to the God of heaven. Here's why. Pharaoh was given every intellectual reason in the world to bow his knee before the holiness of a sovereign king and he refused. Plague after plague after plague after plague. Why would he not have recognized God? Was it because of an intellectual decision? No. It was because of a moral problem. 
And the reason that people don't recognize God today, the reason that students don't bow their knee before the gospel today, the reason that people don't worship Jesus Christ as the Lord today is not an intellectual problem predominantly. It is a heart problem. The reason that Pharaoh didn't want to bow before the Lord is because Pharaoh thought he was the Lord. And the reason that people today don't want to bow before a holy God and submit to Jesus Christ is because they want to be the God of their own lives. And the gospel threatens that. So students, if you leave the God of Scripture, it won't be because of some intellectual understanding. It will be because you love your sin more than you love Jesus. It will be older people today. The reason that you know people that aren't giving their life to Christ, it's not because they're so brilliant. It's because they're so wicked. It's not because they can't understand, but because they won't understand. And we need to understand that when we see what the gospel truly is, that we need to see the power of decisions. But we also, number two, need to understand the power. We need to understand the power of decisions. And number two, the reality of warfare. The reality of warfare. In Genesis 3.15, Satan asked a question. He said, has God or did God really say? And he put that seed of doubt. And then we find ourselves here in Exodus and we find Pharaoh saying, who is the Lord? And if there is another God, I don't believe that he said this. If you jump forward into the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Peter said, In the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, even in latter times, there are people that are going to say, Where is the Lord? He promised he was coming back. All you Christians, you're always talking about the second coming of Jesus. I haven't seen any second coming. If he's going to come, why doesn't he just show up already? When we find ourselves in Genesis 3, the Satan, Satan causes everyone to doubt whether or not the Lord actually spoke. Then we have Pharaoh denying that there is a God or if there is one that he spoke these words. And then the mockers, even in the last days, who would say there's not going to be a God that shows up. And friends, I would tell you that part of that, our understanding, is that there is real spiritual warfare. Now, we don't want to give Satan too much credit, but it is the height of foolishness not to believe that there is a war for your soul. There is a war for your mind. There is a war for your life. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion who seeks to devour, to kill, and to destroy. And if you don't understand that there's a war outside, there's no way that you're going to fight it. And if we don't understand that it's powerful, then even right now for your attention span and for your heart and for your decisions and for your bowing before the Lord, that there is spiritual warfare being fought. It's not that we want to give Satan too much credit, but some of us need to recognize that when we experience adversity and problems and trials, that Satan is real and that he is at work. Now, thank God, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, right? Thank God for that. And I just want to give this caveat. Some of you need to quit blaming Satan when you do terrible things. People will say, oh, oh, I I guess it's just, just the devil made this happen. If you make terrible, sinful, awful choices, that is on you. But we don't discount the fact that there is a real devil, a lion, who seeks to devour and destroy, and that he's behind this. 
So there's real spiritual warfare that is going on. There's the power of decisions, the reality of warfare. And then number three, the pain of leadership. So you say you want to be a leader. You say you want to aspire to be a leader. Great. Buckle up. Get ready. Leadership is hard. It's hard in the church. It's hard in the community. It's hard in a national scene. It's just hard. If it were easy, everybody would do it. And people would do a good job of it. But you've seen, not only does not everybody want a part of it, but a lot of people that do it are terrible at it. They're terrible at it. Why? Because the pain of leadership is real. When we see what Moses is involved in now, Obviously, he stepped off into it, and now he's there in front of Pharaoh. And if you're going to be a leader, you have to understand that there are going to be times when you're misunderstood. There's times when you feel all alone. There's going to be times when you don't have anyone but God. This wouldn't be the last time that Moses would be opposed by people who didn't understand what God was doing, both inside the camp and outside the camp. So we know that when we attempt to serve the Lord, you're going to face opposition. Wake up, church. This is no longer a Christian culture. We do not have a Christian nation. We do not have a Christian culture. In the last 30 years, even basic morals are not agreed upon. We can't even agree upon how many sexes there are. That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. And so because of that, now more than ever, if you're really going to live your life in support of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're really going to believe the Word of God, then I'm telling you, we have entered into a generation where we are calling kids not just to be members of a youth group, not just to come and socialize, not just to be a part of something because it's the place to be, but we're calling you to be warriors. We're calling you to stand in the gap. We're calling you to answer the call. We're calling you to be aliens and strangers in a world that is completely wicked and and depraved, and turned over. And so because it, what, it, what that means is, is that now, if we're going to serve the Lord, it is going to be hard. And sometimes when we serve the Lord, we, we understand that there's going to be satanic attack. We understand that the world is not going to understand. But one of the things where I think Moses was the most hurt, and where you'll be the most hurt, is that sometimes when you serve Jesus, the greatest attacks come from the people you thought were supposed to be Christian. The Jewish people refused Moses' leadership, and I'm telling you, if you don't prepare your heart, the people that are supposed to be sometimes the spiritual heroes in your life, the people that you thought were going to be behind you, that's when it hurts the worst, when you get sold out by people you thought had your back, people you thought cared about the things of God, and then all of a sudden you look up and you say, this is a lonely road. It's a lonely road. And so we need to know that that's possible and that those painful attacks can happen. And if we're going to lead, and it's absolutely worth it to lead, but if we're going to lead, it's not going to be easy. And then number four, the pain of leadership also leads us to understand the blessing of obedience. The blessing of obedience. Now when we talk about the blessing of obedience, I need to define blessing. Maybe I'll... Let's, let's start defining obedience, and then let's go backwards, okay? 
What does it mean to be obedient? Just real simple. Doing what you're told to do. That's as simple a definition as I can give you. So when we're talking about obedience to God, you do what God tells you to do. Now, when we say the word blessing, we need to define that as well. Because everyone in our culture seems to define blessing because we have allowed an apostate group of people to steal that term. Because now the only way that blessing is understood is in material wealth and prosperity and getting everything that your heart desires. But what the blessing of Scripture truly means is that the Lord is shining upon us, that the Lord is giving us His favor. And that favor does not always look like some prosperity gospel and all of their ilk and what they describe it as. In Moses' life, even before the people were delivered, there was already a blessing of obedience that Moses didn't even understand yet. That even though things hadn't gone the way he thought it would, he had been obedient. He had done what he was told to do. How many of you know this? You can only do what you've been told to do. We get so absolutely enamored with how terrible things are in the world that I think sometimes we forget that you've got to handle your business. You've got to handle your family. You've got to handle your place at your school. You've got to handle your business. You've got to handle what God has given you. And yes, the world may be going to hell in a handbasket, so to say, but that doesn't give you an excuse not to handle the business that God's given you, not to handle your piece of the pie and lead where God has placed you to lead with the blessing of obedience. The path to get there may be a rocky one. Now, I spent a lot of time reading a lot of commentators on this particular passage, and there's a lot of disagreement on why God allowed this to happen this way. In other words, why didn't Moses just walk in and say, let my people go, and they formed a single file line and gone? Why? Now, Some will say it's because he was building the faith of Moses. Others will say it was because he was building the faith of the people. Others will say it was to break Pharaoh down. I want to give you after weeks now of study on chapter 5, I want to give you what I believe is the simplest and most direct answer for why God didn't do it immediately. Are you ready? I have no idea. I have no idea. Now, I think some of those are great guesses. But what we know is that for whatever reason, God decided to take time that Moses wished that he hadn't have taken. And so because of that, what we know is that the Lord does have reasons for his delays. He even has reasons for his denials. But he is God and he is sovereign. So guess what? He doesn't have to tell you every reason. He just doesn't. And we're going to die sometimes and not know the reasons. People always talk about, well, in time, you'll know, maybe. Sometimes in time, you don't know. And guess what? He's still God. And He's still sovereign. And He still deserves your worship. And I'm thankful that sometimes reasons aren't given. And here's why. Because I'm hopefully in my life, I'm growing in enough humility that I know that if He did explain it, I wouldn't understand it anyway. And so we come before and we say there is a blessing that is in obedience. And then finally, number five, the questions of life. The questions of life. If you have lived long enough 
to even make it to elementary school. If you're in kindergarten or first grade and you're here, then you've lived long enough to understand what I'm about to tell you. That there are two questions that are going to come up in your life over and over and over again. Two questions. The first one, why? Why? The second one, how? Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Throughout your life, there are going to be times when you ask, why me? Why now? Why this? And other times, you're going to come before the Lord and you're going to say, how? How am I supposed to make it through this? How am I supposed to deal with this? How am I going to have enough strength? So the whys and the hows, they build up in life. And for Moses, it's almost that those whys and those hows have built up and they've, they've come to this point where Moses goes before the Lord in verse 22 and we read Moses. He just absolutely tears into it, doesn't he? He returns to the Lord. Why have you done this? You haven't saved. You haven't delivered. Now, there's even more disagreement on these verses than there are on why God chose to delay delivering the Israelites. But I think these disagreements are maybe even more important because this may be where the rubber meets the road on this whole passage. And when I say disagreements, there are some scholars that say, on one hand, that Moses did exactly the right thing, that he was overwhelmed, he was angry, he was emotional, and so he went before the Lord and he poured his heart out honestly, and that is exactly how we should pray to the Lord because the Lord knows how we feel, so because he knows how we feel, we shouldn't hold anything back. That's one camp. The other side looks at the way Moses prays and says that he should have never opened his mouth like this before the Lord. That he had absolutely no right to question God and to talk the way he did to the Lord and to speak in the way he did to God. So when you read that passage, which is it? Should Moses be commended for his prayer? Or should Moses be chastised for his prayer? Because it can't be both, can it? I want to see if I can help you make sense of it. I've told you before, I truly believe that most of the time, the scriptural answers are the simplest ones. And I think every one of you are going to understand this. It's Mother's Day, right? So moms and dads, if you have a child that's old enough to talk, or if you've ever been a child that was old enough to talk, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. At times in parenting, Children question your decisions, do they not? At times in parenting, you are challenged, are you not? At times in parenting, it escalates. And sometimes you're told things like this, this is not fair. Sometimes you're told, I can't believe you won't let me do this. I can't believe you won't give me this. Sometimes it's everybody else in the world is allowed to do this but me. Sometimes it's that outright, I can't stand you. I don't like you. I don't want to be here anymore. And sometimes it continues to escalate because we are arguing over the authority that the decision the parent has made. Now, and my two children are in here, and I'm going to admit it. I'm not a perfect parent, so I make some wrong decisions. I just do. If, I could, if everything was hindsight and it was 2020, would I go back and do some things differently? Absolutely. That's life. But I will tell you this. In my own personal life with 
anybody that I've been given charge over, whether it's people work with, children, whoever, I want anybody to feel like they can come talk to me anytime. I want people to be able to say, hey, listen, I, I, I've been thinking about something and I really wish that we'd rethink this. Or there's a rule that you've kind of instated and I think it, it may be a little much. I'd like to talk to you about here's something that we maybe could do a little bit differently. Or I know you said no to me doing this, but I'd really like for you to reconsider and hear my reasons why. I hope, I hope that I would run my family and my wife and I would run my family in such a way that that would be a conversation that we could have. And by the way, side note, kids, did you notice if you're a student in here or a child, did you notice how I just phrased that? Some of you are never going to get anything you want because of the way you start the conversation. It's absolutely ridiculous to come before your parent and to start accusing and immediately before the conversation even gets started, you've gotten so out of hand that if you even had a shot of getting their mind changed, you've shut that down because you started the conversation the wrong way, right? Well, think about it for just a moment. If me, and I'm just a plain old dad trying to figure it out just like the rest of you are, if I want my children to come and talk to me, but I'm going to demand that when they come and talk to me, they show a certain level of respect because I'm their dad, that doesn't it make sense that in understanding this passage that Moses had every right in the world to go before the Lord? He had every right in the world to cry before the Lord. He had every right in the world to show his disappointment before the Lord. He had every right in the world to even ask the why and the how question. But what he didn't have the right to do is show up before the God, for God irreverently and accusing God of things. I am tired of a theology that tells people that you can approach God any old way you want to because you absolutely cannot. He is holy and He is awesome. And because of that, when you bow before the Lord, sure, you should pray honestly before the Lord, but you address Him like He deserves to be addressed, and that is the holy and anointed one. And so when we bow before the Lord, do we learn from this passage to go before the Lord with our greatest hearts, hurts, and desires? Absolutely we do. But we also hear the rebuke that how dare you step in front of the Holy One without doing it with reverence and with respect. Friends, I would tell you the big questions of life, they're going to come up. But we approach the Lord and we, maybe it's something like this. Oh God, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. And I know you love me. And I know you have plans and purposes that are bigger than my own. But God, I'm coming before you because I'm struggling. And I'm coming before you because I don't understand. And God, I've asked those questions about how and why so many times. And I don't get it. And I want to believe and I want to have faith but I need your help and I need your Holy Spirit to help me because if you don't help me in this midst, I'm at the, my wit's end and I'm going to give up. And God, I, I don't know how I feel all of the time, but I want to do right by you. So I'm coming before you in the midst of where it feels like the world's coming down on me, in the midst of this leadership crisis, in the midst of where it seems like friends have turned on me. God, I know I can turn to you because I've learned my whole life what a friend I had in Jesus. So Jesus, I'm asking you today, would you be a friend to me now? Maybe our prayer sounds a little more like that than it does about accusing God of being unloving or unmerciful. And I believe that we have a good, good father. We have an Abba who desires that his children would come. Friends, I'm so glad that even when life doesn't work out as I think it should, 
when things don't go how I expected them, that we can keep a godly perspective and that there's only one real way that you can come before the Lord. To be saved, you must come before the Lord this way. To be restored, you must come before the Lord this way. And to be heard, you must come before the Lord this way. There's only one way, and that's broken. That we come broken before the Lord, and as we bow before Him, because without brokenness, you won't ever recognize that you need Him. Without brokenness, you won't look towards Jesus. So if you today want to come broken before the Lord, I invite you to come. Because when we're broken, that's when He can do something incredible in our hearts and in our lives. I want to tell you today that the Lord wants to meet you and He wants to meet you where you are and you can be honest before Him. But would you reverently bow before the King of Kings and ask Him to do what only He can do in your life? If you've never come to before Jesus and you need to get saved, would you come broken before the Lord today? If you want to become part of this church, would you come broken before the Lord today? If you recognize that sometimes you may be just like Moses and that you have fought it and things don't seem to be going like you think they ought to go, then there is a God who understands, but you're going to have to come broken before him today. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.